Hello, and thanks for tuning in to All Bodies Outside. This is your host, Dr. Brian Peterson. For this episode, we're going to focus on a research manuscript titled, Who Visits U.S. National Parks and Who Doesn't? A National Study of Perceived Constraints and Vacation Preferences Across Diverse Populations. This study was conducted by our three guests, who are Dr. Xiao Xiao, Dr. Kang J. Jerry Lee, and Dr. Lincoln Larson. The study is important because it objectively revealed that National Park Service units are not visited frequently by a large percentage of the American public, which underscores the need for the National Park Service to enhance relevancy and diversity by providing attractive and accessible recreation opportunities for historically marginalized groups. Before we discuss this research, let's have each researcher introduce themselves, and let's first go with Dr. Shao, then Dr. Lee, and then Dr. Larson. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Xiao Xiao, and I'm a assistant professor in School of Community Resources and Development at Arizona State University, located in Haikou, Hainan Province, China, and primarily conducting research and teaching activities in the international joint uh, joint uh, tourism program. And my research focus uh, interests include uh, social that social justice issues in parks and protected areas climate adaptation planning for cultural resources and transportation planning in national parks. And it is, it is my great pleasure to share this research findings with you guys uh, in Orbabi outside. Thank you. Hello everyone. Uh, I am Kang Jae Lee. I go by Jerry. I am an assistant professor in parks, recreation and tourism management at NC State University. I am a social justice researcher focusing on Park visitations, outdoor recreation participation, and subjective well-being. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for joining. Hi, everyone. I'm Lincoln Larson. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Parks, Recreation, Tourism Management at North Carolina State University. I'm a conservation social scientist whose research focuses on understanding and promoting positive interactions between humans and nature. All right. Well, we got a fantastic group of researchers with us today. So why don't we jump into your study that I mentioned and why don't we kick off the conversation with talking about why was this research relevant? Yeah, well, I'll jump in to begin with. When we, when we think about America's national parks, the iconic national parks that many of us put on a pedestal, we think about, we dream about all the time. This was a revolutionary idea in the early 1900s to create these spaces for the benefit and enjoyment of the people and to preserve natural resources for everyone. It's a very noble mission, the democratization of the outdoors. And for 100 years, parks have strived and struggled to achieve this mission. And although today we see you know, 300 million or more people every year visiting national parks, one thing that we've noticed is that it's a very homogenous group of, of residents, of, of people in the United States who are coming. Uh, and they tend to be white. They tend to be higher income. And this is very concerning for an agency whose mission is to serve everyone. And that was kind of the impetus of inspiration for this research project. All right. Great. Um, so was there anything else that wanted to be added to the relevancy of that? Or should we kind of get into the background with the literature and what the literature says about this topic? I mean, if you look at the demographic, can... oh, go ahead, Jerry. 
No, no, no. Um, I think we can do that simultaneously. I think the literature review, uh, you know, provides some context of why this study was needed and why this is important. Okay, sounds good. And Lincoln, what were you going to say there? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the demographic composition of our country here in the United States and how it's changing, and you look at park visitation uh, and how it's really not changing to reflect that demographic change, uh, I think in terms of relevancy for trying to serve all people, that's the ultimate question is how are we doing that effectively or are we? And that's where this research uh, idea really emerged. Yeah, it seems like there needs to be some some signaling done that's not being done currently by National Park Service to get those marginalized populations to visit. And so why don't we kind of get into the background on what the literature says. And so my first question is going to be, um, first off, let's just establish what is known about the visitation patterns at National Park Service sites. I know Lincoln touched on that a little bit, but why don't we go a little bit more in depth in that, on that? Yeah, sure. I can explain that a little bit. Um, so there have been a lot of research. Uh, there are a lot of researchers focusing on this topic. Uh, who is visiting national parks? Um, one of the oldest studies was actually conducted in the 1950s, so it's more than like 50 years ago, right? Um, there's a report called A Survey of the Public Concerning the National Parks. Uh, this was a report produced by the company called Audience Research. And this report documents that majority of U.S. national park visitors are predominantly white American. Uh, people who tended to have high income level and um, tended to have high education. Uh, so those are the three sort of main findings uh, established in very early study on National Park Visitation. Uh, the follow-up studies usually show the same patterns. It, it's usually um, National Park visitors are, you know, well-educated, uh, high income, white individuals. So that has been sort of um, overarching themes when it comes to National Park Visitation. <clears throat> now, the reason why we wanted to conduct an additional study was that a lot of people focusing on National Park visitors uh, by conducting surveys or uh, focusing on specific park units, but we don't really know. Um, well, we didn't have uh, so much discussions or research focusing on, okay, people are going to National Parks, but what about the others, people who don't go to National Parks, and where do they go? So this data set, uh, when we are conducting this study, available at the time was the most recent data concerning American public's uh, preference and visitation to national parks, and it also provides that information. So we decided to look at who are these people who don't go to national parks, but where, they, uh, where they're going. So I think that was the uh, one, uh, I guess, strength of this uh, research. Yeah, Jerry, that was fantastic. I think that's a great strength of the research to understand the visitor, the people that are not visiting, where do they prefer to go to? I think that tells a lot about what the National Park Service can do in the future to attract those visitors so they can have all the great benefits that go along with visiting the National Park Service site. Um, so my next question is, um, with conducting research, there's always some theoretical background. So what's the theoretical background regarding constraints to visiting National Park Service sites? I know that that's kind of a, there's some dense material about constraints with uh uh, marginalized populations and whatnot. So if we can kind of go over that so the audience understands that. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> <Me again. laughs> uh, I can take that. So the theoretical framework, 
for this study is leisure constraint. The theory of leisure constraint uh, for non-academic audience, this is basically the theory that describes some of the barriers that we experience when we try to engage in leisure recreation activities. So we apply the theory and try to understand, theoretically explain what are the reasons that people don't go to national parks or some of the barriers that they experience when they try to visit national parks. And the theory entails three large categories, sort of main categories of leisure constraints. One is intrapersonal constraint. This is about one's ability. Uh, this is very individualistic factors, such as one's skill level, knowledge, and perhaps psychological factors to fear about certain issues. Uh, or, you know, uh, some people don't like to outdoor, go, go to outdoor recreation activities because they are afraid of, uh, you know, wild animals or uh, bugs or snakes or things like that. So those are the pretty much fear factors, psychological factors. So that's uh, intrapersonal constraint. The second category is interpersonal constraint. This is more like interactions with other people. So, for example, if you go to some place and sometimes you feel out of place, uh, you know, or your interaction with somebody was not that uh, pleasant. Um, so those type of uh, negative experience through the interactions with other can, um, you know, uh, uh, negatively impact one's preference and participation in certain leisure activity. And the third category is a structural constraint. This is more like outside environment. Um, so the term structural suggests that this is environmental factors, right? So access to certain place, national park in this case, you know, a lot of national parks, well, the, usually the crown jewels in national parks are in, in pretty remote area. <laughs> So you have to drive a long distance. You have to sometimes take an airplane. You have to drive a long distance. Uh, so those are the distance factors, the environmental factors. And so they can fall into structural constraint category. So using this sort of three major um, ways to understand the barriers that people visit national parks, we use that as a theoretical framework and you know analyze the data set. Yeah, and that sounds like that. Oh, go for it, Lincoln. Yeah, I was just going to jump in and add, and this, these theories have been applied to many forms of outdoor recreation, not just national park use, but because national parks, as Jerry was saying, are, are uh, often harder to access in more remote areas and tend to magnify some of the pre-existing constraints, uh, there's reason to believe that some of these things might be even more significant barriers for individuals trying to get to places like national parks, whether it's for personal reasons, uh, whether it's for those interpersonal reasons, or just kind of the structural logistical stuff that makes it difficult. Yeah, and it seems like all those things that you just mentioned, Lincoln, kind of have a compounding effect too. So, you know, you, you throw in the socioeconomic aspects, you throw in the sociocultural aspects, and people might start thinking, you know, their perceived accessibility is very low, and so they're not going to want to go there. And so those constraints um, definitely need to be overcome and whatnot. And so I think that's really important to understand, you know, kind of where we're starting with this research. So thanks for those explanations. I really appreciate it. And some have even advocated for a higher level constraint or cultural constraint, as you said, that kind of combines some of these things, the intersectionality piece, uh, and, and makes it even more difficult for certain populations to access these resources. And that, again, was one of the main things we were thinking about here is across different cultural boundaries, are we seeing certain groups having a harder time experiencing these places than others? Yeah, thanks for that note. 
Yeah, uh, you, you know, Brian, I think you are spot on about this compounding impact of leisure constraints. And uh, our research also documents that effect, and so we can discuss more when we cover the discussion section. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Jerry. Um, okay, well, fantastic. Why don't we keep kind of trucking along with setting the foundation for your research here. And so one more question I have before we get into um, how you did the research, how you conducted the research is, um, since visiting a national park, uh, is typically a vacation preference. What is known about vacation preferences across uh, different, or sorry, what are vacation preferences based on socio-demographic factors? Uh, I'm not sure if, uh, Cheryl, you, you want to take this or I can cover that. Um. So I, I think based on what we reviewed for this topic, I would say that uh, very kind of like the limited studies has been exploring the impact of social demographics uh, factors on the vacation preferences. Um, some of the exist study, some of the existing studies has identified some uh, a few a few factors such as lifestyle patterns and travel distance. And travel informations uh, and desirability of family members tends to be important factors that associated with um, the, the vacation destinations. Um, and um, also, some of the a few researchers has found that uh, the uh, uh, elder elderly adults were more likely to travel to health-related or education-based tourism destinations compared to the younger younger um, populations. Um, besides, so um, I think there are a few studies has document that compared to white Americans, African Americans tends to travel shorter distance and visit destinations associated with black heritage. So that's but but you know overall very limited studies has focused on examining the uh, the differences of vacation different vacation destinations among so uh, by social demo demographic factors. And that's okay. also, you know, one of the driven factors that for this this project, because uh, we really need those informations about um, what are the preferences for the vacation destinations for people, those population groups who are not visiting national parks. Yeah, thanks for the explanation, Chow. And I think another thing that's really important, too, is to consider for vacation preferences, um, considering social connections. And I think that with our national parks, a lot of people have this kind of romantic viewpoint or a romantic viewpoint is embedded in national parks. It actually could be a barrier where it's like, Hey, you go to national parks for solitude and escape, but it doesn't incorporate those social connections that a lot of po populations do seek out. And I think that's another important thing towards vacation preferences for, um, based on socio-demographic factors. Okay, so I think that kind of lays down the foundation of uh, why your research is relevant and also the theoretical background. And so why don't we kind of hop into, first off, um, what were the uh, major objectives of this study? So, um, so, so there are three uh, main research objectives. First, we want to um, Finding out the social uh, the, the the characteristics of the social demographic informations across different population groups uh, of visitation to to NPS sites where we're defining the populations to three different groups 
as recent uh, visitors, past visitors, and non-visitors. And I will explain how we're defining them, the criteria to uh, defining them later when we are uh, jump to the, the method part. But, um, but we also want to examine how um, the, the, the visit, visitation status and the social, social demographic factors can collectively influence the constraints to national park site visitation and also how them can collectively influence the uh, vacation preferences. So that's our, our three main research questions for this research paper. Okay. Well, fantastic, Shao. So you got those three major research questions. So why don't we uh, talk about how did you go about conducting this research to answer those three research questions? Yeah. So um, this research is based on a nationwide um, survey, which um, it's a comprehensive survey of American public. We call them as a CSAP. And actually, the CSAP survey has been conducted since 2000 um, for the first time. And this, this study is based on the second CSAP study, which was conducted um, in 2000, from 2008 to 2009. Um, and because the surveys, the, the aims of the survey want to cover the the general population of U, uh, US general population, the uh, uh, US, uh, so the survey used the, uh, the random digital sampling method to co collect the survey samples uh, that living in all 15 state, states and districts of Columbia. And uh, the, the, the survey used both landline survey and added some of the cell phone surveys to uh, make sure that the spatial autocorrelations was, in fact, was uh, reduced. Um, so overall, the survey collected 4,103 uh, samples and yielding a response rate of 12.5%. Um, and uh, um, the demographic, the CSEP survey was, uh, was also applying a weighting process so that the respondents' uh, social demographic characters was aligned with the U.S. census data so that the sample could be uh, representative. Um, and as I mentioned that, um, that we have, in this study, we have defining three, uh, three types of MPS visitation status, uh, including recent visitors, past visitors, and non-visitors. So the recent visitor was defined uh, for the respondents who has reporting that they have visited a National Park Service unit within last two years and could successfully identify the name of the MPS unit that they have visited with the prompt that provided by the survey administrator and the the, the past visitors are the, those respondents who, report, who reported that they have visited at least one MPS unit during their lifetime, but the visit was not happening uh, within the last two years. And lastly, non-visitors are those uh, respondents who reporting that they have never visited any MPS unit during their lifetime. And uh, from the, our basic descriptive statistics, uh, we found that there are about 47% of recent visitors, 42% uh, of past visitors, and 11% of non-visitors for the, the, for the CSEP2 survey respondents. Um, 
And we basically, for the data analysis part, we basically apply um, some of the, 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 the statistical analysis, such as chi-square analysis, to compare the social demographic um, information across different social demographic groups regard, uh, and uh, across different visitation uh, groups, and also use the binary logistic regression to estimate what are some of the important variables that could influence um, the perceived constraints to visit national parks and the vacation preferences of destinations. Um, so yeah, that's basically the, the method and uh, data analysis approach for this um, for this paper. Yeah, thank you, Shao. That was wonderful. And I'm really excited about one piece of, or your overall, I'm really excited about this study. One piece I'm really excited about is that you were able to track down non-visitors. And that's something that's always been really challenging to understand non-visitors in National Park Service sites, those that do not visit, uh, to understand those preferences of why not and the socio-demographic factors. So I think that's something that's really great about this research. Um, so why don't we uh, start getting into the results? And um, first off, I was curious, so what were the demographic differences amongst these three visitor groups uh, in your study? Yeah, so um, the first of uh, important findings is that we found that um, the visitation status are, are, are very different among racial ethnic groups. And, uh, and Hispanics respondents and black respondents are, are much more likely to be non-visitors comparing to white respondents. Um, and we also found that respondents with higher education background were significantly more likely to be um, recent visitors, while those the, those respondents with lower educa with low, lower education background were significantly more likely to be non-visitors. And uh, similarly, um, respondents with lower lower annual household income are significantly more likely to be non-visitors. Uh, comparing to those respondents who are ha having higher levels of annual household income. And we also found that the visitation status uh, are very different among the uh, populations with different age, where we found that younger popul uh, populations are more, were more likely to be non-visitors comparing to other, other uh, age groups. So that's basically this, the, 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 the very descriptive uh, trends and characteristics regards to the three type groups of the vis uh, visitation status for the CSEP to survey data. Okay, and, and, I thought... and I'll jump in too. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me, in addition to just kind of the descriptive differences, was the magnitude of some of those differences. So, for example, uh, among uh, white respondents in the survey, 52% were recent National Park Service visitors. But if you looked at uh, Black respondents or Hispanic Latinos, it was down to around 30%. So about half mm. were in that recent visit category. And if you look at non-visitors, it's even more pronounced. Just 6% of white respondents had never been to a national park in the survey. But it was wow. over a quarter, four times as many uh, Hispanic, uh, African-American respondents. So pretty dramatic differences. And for income, it's even more extreme. It's like 2% uh, of the high-income group had never been and 26% of the low-income group, 10 times more likely if you're in the low income group to have never come. So it's not just the fact that there were differences, but there were dramatic differences uh, that should be pretty eye-opening for anybody who cares about, you know, managing these places as truly public, publicly accessible resources. Yeah, well, thanks for the explanation, Shao and Lincoln on that. That's something that is 
definitely very dramatic. Um, and that really shows that, that income, that uh, relationship between income and visitation, there's a relationship there. And that's something that is part of that socioeconomic factor that we kind of discussed earlier on when we were setting the foundation for your study. So that's uh, connects well with, it's so dramatic and it connects well to the literature. So that was uh, something that's really cool to see, or not cool to see, but connected to the Unfortunate, literature. but yeah. Interesting yeah. To document. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on to the next part of your results. Um, and the next part of results were, um, what were the perceived constraints to visiting National Park Service sites? Yes, yeah, so um, the CSEP survey asked the barriers of the questions regarding to the constraints to visit National Park Service units. And among the 13 uh, the asked uh, possible barriers to visit uh, or constraints to visit National MPS units, um, the ones that uh, that uh, visitors that, that respondents that are lack of the information of MPS units are the most silent constraints among them. And uh, um, and um, if we are looking at the perceived constraints among uh, visit uh, populations with different visitation status, we would see that recent visitors are. Uh, Recent visitors, recent visitors were less likely to agree with all constraints comparing to the non-visitors. Um, and uh, um, beyond the, the the constraints of lacking of information about MPS units, uh, some of the bare uh, constraints that related to expense, for instance, the 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 the, the, the cost the cost associated with lodging and food. Um, are also identified as an important fact, important constraints by non-visitors, and also like the uh, transportation, t transportation, t transportation time to get into the National Park Service units has been identified as important constraints to visit National Park Service units by non-visitors. So, but you know, overall, um, the the non the uh, Non-visitors are more likely to perceive the, almost every constraint um, comparing to the recent recent visitors. So that's yeah, they, basically yeah, the, the finding of the perceived constraints from the, the study. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, you, you focused, uh, you touched a lot on uh, lack of information. I wonder with that lack of information, like that's that's kind of a big piece. And I wonder if that has something to do with, does the information that National Park Service that they're delivering, does that information look diverse or is it just all white people and their information? Um, how is it, how are they going about signaling to diverse and marginalized populations that, hey, you are welcomed here too? Um, and I wonder if that falls within that kind of just big lumping of lack of information. Maybe it's just, you know, it's, it's not being uh, messaged in a way that is connecting to these marginalized populations. Yeah, so um, based on some of the, so based this from the CSAP survey, the questions was asked, asked that uh, whether they were not know much about National Park Service units, but um, from some of the other studies that I've done or engaged is uh, we, we have found that many margin, traditionally marginalized group are not aware that there, there were some, there were MPS units that are uh, located within the accessible distance from their community, or the probably lack of the information that some of the uh, the areas or the units are or are managed by the National Park Service. 
Um, so like, so it's more, it's, it, it's, it's kind of like the lack of the, 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 the information about MPS stewardship, but also they were from some of the other studies that, that have engaged that they were, they expressed that they are lacking of the, they are lack of the information about how to get access to the, 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 the MPS units that, that are existed, uh, within their, uh, that were near their, communities so so I, I guess that's that that's are some of the um uh, some of the some of the places that national park service could do to enhance the diversities and, and engagement with um the traditional marginalized group yeah i'd like to jump in a little bit uh i think shall provide really good explanations of you know why people are not aware of the national park service and i, I think another way to look at it is that uh, people tend to see what they want to see, psychologically speaking. Um, so in other words, uh, you know, I just don't know much about National Park Service indicates that uh, people are, who people who respond to this question is uh, usually are not interested in outdoor recreation in general. So since they are not interested, uh, they are not aware of the existence of research, right? So I think there will be, uh, we, we have to look at the uh, conduct further research on this, but I think there's a significant correlations between the preferences and the lack of awareness. Yeah, I agree on that, Jerry. I think that's definitely something that is going on. Uh, there is that correlation there. Also, um, Xiao, you know, having information about how to access these sites, I know that some of these sites are in rural areas um, and they might be difficult to kind of, you know, navigate those rural areas and whatnot. And so information with that would certainly be helpful for populations to kind of just boost that visitation from marginalized populations. Yeah. And I think adding to that, I mean, the, historically national parks, certainly national parks, but even national park service units, monuments, historic sites, et cetera, really haven't been present in low income, high minority communities, which are a lot of the focal populations we're talking about here. And that has changed, changed a bit recently with the urban agenda. There's certainly been a, a growing recognition of this problem and, and a growing desire uh, and policy agenda to move parks closer to people who haven't historically enjoyed them. And I think that's a, a positive trend. Uh, but one of the more concerning things that I, I saw in this data is I was just pointing out too, is some of those other barriers for non-visitors, three or four times more likely to say things like this, I don't feel safe in parks. Uh, they're unpleasant places for me to be. You know, just putting parks near people, are not, that's not going to solve those problems. And so there's another layer to this that I think is really important to, to kind of interrogate and, and dissect a little more as well. Yeah, there's a very, there's a lot of depth to it for sure. And, you know, people's perceived safety in these places not being there, that's something that is significant and needs to be looked in further too. Okay, so moving on to the last bit of your results in this study, um, what types of vacation preferences were shown across visitor groups? Yeah, so we compare, we ask, uh, so during uh, the, the CSAP just survey asked the respondents uh, whether they have take a vacation trip away from home from the, the uh, for the past two years. And um, comparing to the non-visitors, the recent visitors reported a uh, very high uh, rate of take the, the vacation trips, where 93% of the recent uh, visitors has taken vacation trips compared to 76% uh, of, of passive visitors and 60% of non-visitors who are taking the um, 
the, the out of town trips. And uh, we also found that um, the recent visitors are, are more likely to prefer a trip to visit nature based or historical uh, historic centered uh, destinations, where non visitors were more likely to prefer a trip to visit friends or relatives. Um, or uh, to attending an out-of-town sporting events or uh, visit a casino or gaming places. Um, so, um, so that's what are basically the biggest the, the differences that we have been found for the vacation differences, vacation destination differences among three types of the, 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 the population groups. Um, and, uh, and we also found that uh, the, the um, the vacation destin vacation uh, preferences for destinations were different uh, among uh, different uh, racial ethnic groups, um, where Hispanic and and Black respondents are more likely to visit the the social center or the the the, the cultural oriented or social centered uh, destinations, compared to white respondents who are more likely to prefer nature based destination. Um, for their uh, vacation destinations. So that's basically the, the main findings from, uh, for the vacation, vacation preferences from our study. Yeah, Xiao, thanks for sharing that. And I think like, I, I'm glad that you touched on that social aspect. And I think, you know, going back to something that we discussed earlier was, you know, we have this kind of romanticized view of how national parks should be and nature and escape and solitude, but social connections are such a great part of the experience. And, you know, if you have great social connections um, in these natural areas, well, then you have a bigger, you're going to have a better quality of experience and, you know, probably revisit after that and be someone that, you know, no longer is a non-visitor. Um, and so I think that that's a, some, that's something that's a really important finding is, um, you know, okay, uh, non-visitors uh, are seeking social connections with friends and relatives. How do we foster that in national parks? How do we do that in national park units? Um, and that might be something that helps um, get these marginalized populations to national parks so that they can have those benefits with visiting national park service units. Okay, well, that sounded great for the results. I appreciate all that uh, explanation in the details of your study. And so now some of the fun part, one of the best parts of doing research is the implications. How can this information be used to uh, help out the National Park Service uh, to get more diversity in terms of visitors? So what were the um, major implica implications of this study? So you want to hop on that one? Yeah, I can kick it off. <laughs> uh, there, are, there are a lot, and some of them are tricky to grapple with. I think that's that explains some of our hesitation. I got you. Um, certainly, it's what this study has done uh, on, a, on a scale much larger than most is document these recurring uh, constraints to national park visitation, the ones that, that Jerry just talked about earlier. Uh, and really illustrate that, particularly among non-visitors, a population that hasn't been studied to the same extent that park visitors have been studied, the, the constraints are even more uh, prominent, perhaps, than we thought they would be. And that is a concern, especially when you talk about things like some of the structural constraints um, and even potentially cultural constraints that are preventing people from visiting these spaces. That wasn't necessarily surprising, but it was concerning. The, the other thing I'll add before others can jump in too, with respect to vacation, pre the vacation preferences portion of the results, 
is that what we found in large part is that a lot of these populations, especially African-Americans, Hispanic, Latino populations, uh, visiting outdoor spaces wasn't necessarily what they wanted to do. And so this creates somewhat of a conundrum for National Park Service managers, right? Because if you want to become more relevant, you either have to change what you're managing and offering to make it more appealing to people, or I guess the other alternative is say, we don't, we're not a theme park, obviously. Uh, we're not a spa or resort. Uh, we're not providing necessarily these services. So people are making a personal choice not to visit. And there's some things they can do on the cultural, cultural side, the social side, there's some things that park service can do. But if you make that choice, are you then intentionally excluding a large proportion of the population that you're supposed to be serving as part of your mission? And that's a really interesting and complicated question about mission creep and the future of parks and, and how we put all those pieces together. And to me, that's really interesting. Yeah, super interesting and super complicated. So definitely without a doubt. Uh, Jerry, were you going to add something on on some of that? Well, uh, I agree with the link on uh, it's, a, it's a challenging finding to a certain extent for National Park Service to do, you know, how to balance the different needs or maybe preferences, right? Uh, we have traditional sort of visitors who really like to visit national parks and those individuals look to be, uh, you know, well-educated white individuals who like to explore natural environment. On the other hand, we have another group of individuals. If we, you know, uh, jacketize this uh, population group, in the, another end of the spectrum is individuals who like to go to establish sort of facilities or indoor type of outdoor recreation, uh, such as, you know, uh, just like Lincoln mentioned, uh, theme parks, uh, cruise, casino, and things like that. Um, how much... Uh, does National Park Service need to accommodate that needs? Um, to me, this is completely opposite to the mission of National Parks to preserve the beauty of nature for the next generation and the current generations, right? So where where is the balance? Where is the good point to strike the balance? It's a very, very challenging topic to discuss, I think. And one additional, uh, I guess, comment that I would like to make is that uh, we don't know much about, uh, we need more research on the people of color that uh, don't go to National Park Service. And um, the reason why this is because uh, this status that has certain limitation and it involves a lot of NPS units that are in the urban context. So is it really distance or income level or mm -hmm. is it cultural factors? I think there needs to be a lot of more uh, research, uh, follow-up research needed to conduct it to truly sort of unpack these complexities associated with some of the experience or maybe the hesitation that the people of color have in terms of visiting national parks. Yeah, Jerry, I think that's, you know, something that's really needed with, especially these non-visiting marginalized populations. And then one of the things within these populations too, that we should all remember is there's a lot of nuances and heterogeneity too, different perspectives, different uh, preferences and whatnot. And that is also just another reason to, you know, open up that research there for that, for future research, to get into those complexities, um, to understand those nuances Absolutely. within these populations. Um, and that would just, you know, more so inform it and, and also maybe see if what, to what degree the national park service can accommodate some of those preferences. Cause you know, that's goes, some of this stuff goes against their mission. That's, you know, they're not going to be opening a casino on the land or, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> But, you know, I think understanding those nuances, more information, the better to help National Park Service be more welcoming towards those marginalized populations. 
And I also want to add that to echo with um, Jerry and Lincoln's um, perspective about the the relevancy and 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 the preferences for the uh, visit uh, for the trips to visit National Park Service. Um, since that really the awareness of uh, National Park Service's stewardship is kind of like serving as a, a, like a major uh, perceived conscience uh, that the National Park Service um, has commissioned the third CSAP survey to ask the respondents about their awareness of, uh, the, of their um, different initiatives, such as the initiatives of education programs and uh, cultural programs and recreation programs. Um, and to explore whether they have been aware or used the online content to learn about historical places and natural resources and to um and also like one of the, the, the and also whether they have a weird that mps visit to engage with the community's conversation about park issues um so i think those are or some or of those are some of the or of those are permissing uh, pathways to enhance the relevancy and awareness of um, MPS stewardship with diverse and diverse, diverse population and traditionally marginalized groups and and also there are a lot of uh, the, the infos that we need to dig dig more to um, to understand why there are some reason that some groups are not really visit national parks more often uh, and how to engage uh, how to make them more engaged with the MPS stewardship. And Brian, your original question you posed related to the relevancy of the research and, and kind of the relevancy of parks in general. And I think community outreach is a centerpiece of relevancy, understanding, listening, and connecting. And that's something historically the National Park Service hasn't been good at. They're managing kind of pristine vignettes of the past. But if you want to engage with contemporary society, you have to be there and you have to interact with people and you have to maintain a presence that resonates with those different populations. And we see some positive trends in that direction from the Park Service and other park agencies, but there's still a lot of room for growth. And I think this research really illustrates that potential uh, and, and we start thinking about different ways we might accomplish that. Yeah, that, uh, oh, Jerry, are you gonna go, go for it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, Cheryl made a really good point that NPS is trying to you know, change this pattern. Right, the, the pattern, visitation pattern that has been going for more than decades. And uh, I think the agency is making a lot of effort in terms of outreach programs and, uh, you know, advertising materials and different ways to, you know, culturally more relevant to diverse group of Americans. And um, with that, I think I think National Park Service uh, can do more. I, uh, when it comes to historical background, National Park Service, I mean, uh, we have to admit that these you know, preservations of na nature, this is heavily centered on white European Americans' perspective and National Park Service. I mean, a lot of crown jewels of National Parks are created upon the land that the indigenous individuals, people used to occupy, right? So acknowledging that history, uh, admitting that history of sort of military conquest involving the creation of national parks and fairly communicating that history, I think National Park Service can, um, they're doing it, but I think they can do better. Yeah, Jerry, thanks for that. And it seems like there's, 
there's certainly a number of things the National Park Service can do that are low cost, low resource, that signal to these uh, marginalized populations that, you know, they are welcome there. And I think, Jerry, you just touched on that really nicely. But then there are some things that maybe the National Park Service is not within their mission to do as well. But there certainly seems like there's some low cost, low resource signaling that they could do um, to help with getting marginalized populations into National Park Service units. Um, and so this has been a really great conversation about what, you know, kind of some further steps for future research. And so just kind of as we're concluding, uh, going over your study, was there any other tidbits of future research that any of you wanted to touch on that uh, should be looked at in the future? Okay, I think we got it all then. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, go for it, Jerry. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is a research implication or practical implication. I think one way that we have to be mindful is that when we do this type of issues related to outdoor recreations, one thing that I really want to be uh, circumspective uh, of is uh, this idea of white savior complex, right? Uh, it's because uh, what I mean by this is that these outdoor recreation activities, the creation of national parks, uh, a lot of these uh, you know, space is centered on a white American's perspective, European American's perspective, right? So, yeah, promoting visitation from people of color, that's great uh, because nature provides a lot of benefits. But at the same time, we shouldn't imposing the activities to them and saying that this is what you need to do. Uh, that's basically why saviors approach that, oh, uh, let me tell you what's good for you. Right. You have to visit national parks. No, I mean, I mean, uh, I think we need to be cognizant of uh, be careful about how we approach this matter and how we reach out to the people of color who have been uh, oppressed and marginalized uh, because of the creation of national park. Um, so I think it's a, uh, something that we have to be very carefully approach. And, and if you look at some of the greatest barriers to change are often internal. I do a lot of research with state wildlife agencies as well, and they're worried about the same types of issues, diversity, equity, inclusion related issues. And yet 80, 90% of the employees at these places are white Americans, uh, mostly men who, you know, for it's not necessarily even their fault, just their cultural background experiences don't enable them to, to see the bigger picture. And I think what I'd like to see is more research, perhaps internally to the agency and the, and the organizations themselves to understand what some of those barriers, intrinsic barriers might be to the growth that, that Jerry just talked about, and then how some of those things can be overcome. Because yes, external pressure and change is going to help, but we also have to look within ourselves and acknowledge some of our own limitations in thinking uh, and our own values in order to progress uh, in a way that allows and opens the doors for more people to experience the places that, that we love. Yeah, I think seeing, you know, reflecting on our, 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 bias, our self biases and assumptions uh, would help us, you know, approach this, um, strategies and tactics sensitively and with empathy. Um, and that is something, you know, kind of just talking about what, you know, especially what Jerry made there with his point. Um, I think that sensitive sensitivity and empathy is needed and that's needs to be created through what you just mentioned, Lincoln, um, you know, having that, uh, understanding, you know, what's going on intrinsically with people, uh, to understand their preferences, whatnot, biases and assumptions. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, everyone, this was a very fantastic conversation. I really appreciate y'all 
tuning into All Bodies Outside, um, talking about the details of your study. And it's something that is a very impactful study. And it was wonderful to get all of you on here at once. So I want to say thank you very much for being willing to come onto a podcast. I know I sent a cold email out to all of you saying, hey, you want to come on this podcast? And you're like, what the heck? Like, what's this podcast? So I appreciate you all being willing to come onto my podcast and discuss your research. And it's very meaningful. And I think it paves a good step forward for future research too, to get into some of these nuances that we discussed today. Okay, well, I'm going to throw on the outro music and we'll call it a episode. Thanks for having us all at once, Brian. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>